Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. I have armed myself. Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 108, The Elysian Kingdom, comes to you now via the Swamp of Infinite Deaths. And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode, Pete. Just yesterday, we were talking the Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 6 finale. Uh, presumably the season uh, ender, the series ender. Uh, we will be looking back at the season slash series as a whole later this week. Yes, looking forward to bringing that to you as well as being halfway home, Matt, on Ms. Marvel, our third episode available as of Friday, starting to bring you the uh, foreign uh, filmed segments in the next couple weeks. So really interested to talk about that. But to Star Trek, Matt, where an episode about a not so enjoyed ending uh, being review bombed on IMDb. Um. I want to say I'm surprised to hear that because I enjoyed the bitter, sad ending after a delightful, jovial outing. I thought it was a, it was a wise and interesting uh, contrast to things. But then, Pete, I should not be surprised that uh, long-term, or rather short-term, grumpy anger, hate, knocking other people down and so forth uh, is winning the day. I'll just go on the record now. I thought this was a delightful, albeit complex episode. I just think the irony that Rukia did not like the ending to a book and then that angry man children go on a website and downvote it, uh, apart from all the other issues they have. Uh, yeah. Pete, clearly there are people who think that irony is what you do on a Sunday night to your pants for the week. So, <laughs> potato, potato. On a kinder and more considerate note, Matt, so Jess Bush, who plays uh, Nurse Chapel, uh, Lady Audrey, in this episode, in this, uh, you know, fantasy world, she actually featured her own uh, jewelry uh, she takes honeybees, deceased honeybees, and has them encased, and she wore these, and she is now selling them on uh, Instagram through a link there, if you're so interested. Pete, I think that's delightful, and I'll tell you why. I remember five, six years ago reading an article about a particular actor, uh, who I will not name, because he's gone on to have a, an incredibly creepy uh, and inappropriate reputation, but he was pursuing a graduate degree uh, and the professor, with his permission, ended up writing an article basically saying, here's how it is that he was able to work on his degree work while still working in New York, working in Toronto and other places. And basically the professor saying, there's so much downtime when you're filming. How do you not have a hobby? How do you do, do not pursue a degree and so forth? So I know other actors, you know, John Reese davies says whenever he does a new project, he picks up a new hobby and learns, learns new things. So if this is Jess Bush's thing to do to, I don't know, put some craft into the world to, to, you know, not just go back to your trailer, especially in the COVID situation, just stare at the wall. That's awesome. That's a, that's a neat uh, uh, little hobby. It's something I've never heard of before. Pete, thank you for bringing the buzz about it to the podcast. With that, let's head into the mission briefing. Enterprise arrives at the Junician Nebula to conduct a routine survey on Stardate 2341.6 as Chief Medical Officer Joseph Mbenga records a personal log. He doesn't have much to do, so he's been conducting his own research into finding a cure for his daughter Rukia's disease. Her prognosis has dwindled from months to hours. She wants him to finish the book he reads to her, uh, but he needs to return her to the medical transporter's pattern buffer to stave off her fate. But she begs him to finish The Elysian Kingdom by Benny Russell. 
nice addition there of Benny Russell. Pete, some people calling it an Easter egg. I would agree. It's an Easter egg. It's a good one. Uh, Rukia, as you mentioned. those unaware, just so we clarify, Benny Russell, the name given to Benjamin Sisko's character in the uh, very weighty, important, well-done Deep Space Nine episode, Far Beyond the Stars. And Pete, for those unaware, uh, the, the inclusion of Benny Russell in this episode kind of officially makes Benny Russell a real mm-hmm. character within Star Trek. I think it was intentionally nebulous as part of the, the, the lovely fabric of that story. So not only is it an Easter egg, it does in its own small way, a little bit of story service. Uh, Pete, as I'm sure you know, there had been discussion to have Benny Ru- Russell appear in the Deep Space Nine finale. Do you know this? No, I was unaware of that. The idea was kicked around that at the end of Deep Space Nine, and it, they backed off this. They backed off this for reasons I think will be apparent as I explain it to you. At the end of the series, um, they were going to have Benny Russell suddenly walking the halls of Deep Space Nine, exiting a soundstage, and sitting down and looking at a script for Deep Space Nine, which would have been sweet for the Benny Russell character, but then would have said all of Star Trek is actually imaginary for this guy as opposed to, you know, like, we feel it is real in its own world. So they liked that as an idea, then they backed off it. Like you're lost, Matt, where people confuse, and, and my loss too, that people confuse that they were dead all along. Pete, back to this story. As you mentioned, Rukia asks for an ending to her own story book, uh, which is a whopper of a metaphor there. Mbenga reading the book, talking about dark times in the kingdom uh, with one ally, Princess Talia. Uh, it's a tough part in the story, and as uh, Rukia notes, she does not like the King Ridley has to make a choice. The uh, Rukia wants to change the ending. Pete, this too a metaphor. She wants to change her own ending. Someday, says Mbenga, you'll write your own stories with any ending you want. Uh, but Rukia reminds us she needs to get better first. In five hours. Uh, indeed. Uh, Mbenga says he'll love her always and beams her back in. Then he's on the move into his lab area, working away. You got your standard powder into liquid. The result is uh, a chemical reaction after a moment. The computer uh, containing the smoky reaction. With that, number one arrives, upset that Mbenga hasn't cleared the shuttle crew for active duty. He apologizes. He's been stuck in research. And here she shows some sympathy, wonders if he's any closer, if perhaps he's even pushing himself too far. Yes, needs him to do his job, but not before he gets some rest. On the bridge, Spock reports all data buoys have been retrieved. Pike could get used to just the science. Uh, Spock points out the superstition uh, about that, much to Pike's surprise. Um, And then Pike orders Ortegas to set a course for McNair Starbase bat, a Ms. Marvel crossover? Uh, how so? McNair Academic High School is the real-life stand-in for the academic high school that uh, Kamala Khan attends. Uh, Pete confirmed Disney buying Star Trek, Paramount <laughs> Plus to be shuttered, uh, Strange New Worlds canceled, the whole nine yard. McNair can, was also an astronaut on the challenger that might be a slightly better connection but uh um indeed ortega's told to warp home is he going to say the thing he says hit it uh but error message Uh, pete she's hitting it but they're not moving mitchell reports all systems are in the green what is the source of the problem maybe says spock it's this small flux from the nebula or is it a human jinx Hemmer says their warp core is functioning within normal parameters and Spock posits the nebula has affected their ability to achieve a static warp bubble. He suggests they get clear using impulse engines and Hemmer concurs as Ortegas pushes the button, but the ship lurches and she is knocked unconscious. Pike pages Mbenga to the bridge and sees it dramatically changed as he steps out of the turbo lift crew members and himself wearing 
medieval costumes, and Pike addresses him as king. Oh, bow. What the hell? We get the credits. This episode written by Akilah Cooper and Anantria Johnson, directed by Amanda Rowe. We come back into King Mbenga, who's there to see Ortegas. Ortegas. Ah, you mean Sir Adya. Is this a joke? Asked Mbenga. Uh, if you want jokes, then Pike calls for the jester. Bring in the jester. Actually, hold on the jester, says Sir Armand Routh. Pete, I'm going to spend most of the notes just calling these people by their normal Star Trek names, but <laughs> there you go. Uh, Sir, Sir Adya Ortegas, uh, see what I'm doing there, is equally confused. King Mbenga is asked to sit on his throne. Uh, Ortegas uh, sees that wine is being delivered. Uh, Ortega shall drink it first. Mbenga steps aside, has the computer uh, scan systems, and it, the Oracle, does say that all systems are normal. So I think an important story point there that, yes, there are the fun drapes and there's all the, you know, less expensive transition of the ship set into Renfair times, but we see the computer is working. Uh, with that, Mbenga's headed to sickbay. Uh, Pike will help him get to this bay, uh, though there is this smoky wall of fog, the nebula, poisonous air, keeping them where they're at. Yes. Uh, was it a bad omen here that's engulfed them? Adia wagers it's a curse sent by Queen Nev, but Mbenga wants to get a magical device called a tricorder for answers. Crew members bow to him in the overgrown corridors on his way to the Bay of Sick, where Nurse Chapel, as Lady Audrey, tends to her sanctuary. His healing stone shows he's perfectly healthy, but she has slightly elevated dopamine levels, as are Adia's, who was sent by Laon playing Princess Dahlia, carrying her real-life dog, Runa. Pete, it's great to see a young actor getting their first shot on screen here. Runa, good job there. Welcome to the Screen Pet Actors Guild. Uh, Chapel does scan King Mbenga's aura, finding so much pain weighing down his conscience. Uh, as you say, uh, La'an, a.k.a. Talia, there with Runa the dog. Uh, can't the Mercury Stone fix things, King? Hey, look, we have a central thrust to the story here you know harness the stone's powers to stop queen nev keep us all out of chains uh mbenga scans laan and the dog and uh, chapel asks if maybe there are more of these dopamine levels a curious sign of heightened neural activity adia asks to attack the queen's crimson guard who are dragging hammer who threatens to court martial mitchell He's not a wizard, but the chief engineer, and the robes just appeared. Umbenga recognizes Hemmer dressed as Castor the Wizard and orders his release, but Lady Audrey's Woods are neutral territory. The Queen no longer acknowledges the letter of accords and is coming for all the territory. Hemmer begs for Umbenga's help as they take him away in the turbo lift. Adia thinks it's time to use the stone, but Mbenga admits he does not have it. But he thinks Hemmer might know where it is, so they must rescue him. In the conference room, uh, they discuss how it'll be tough to get Hemmer back, stating that a rescue would be unwise. Pike prefers diplomacy. Pete, we have to mention here Pike's just deliciously weird hair. Gone is Pike's <laughs> peak, the center part there to make him look I don't know, a little, little derpy, perhaps. Uh, Ortegas notes that Pike is trembling in his boots. Uh, both, says Mbenga, will escort the king to meet the queen, ask for La'an and the dog. The dog should stay here, and La'an should stay to protect the dog. Uh, and should Mbenga die, she shall sing a song of mourning <laughs> in one of the most, yeah, just delightfully, intentionally cringeworthy moments of Star Trek maybe ever. Pete, it's up there for me with Worf and uh, Majel Barrett in a, in a mud pool where I think uh, I think uh, somebody there was naked. Maybe both of them were. Adia calls Ralph a coward because she wants to use her bloodthirsty sword, Starfall. 
they will escort Mbenga to the queen. Uh, again, as the princess and uh, Runa stay um, on their way, they encounter Spock as Pollux, the wizard, who says the swamps, the swamp of infinite deaths is the only way to the queen's kingdom. Mbenga knows Pollux as Castor's brother because he read it in a book. Uh, Pollux knows a secret dark way around the swamp through a Jeffries tube. Mbenga doesn't trust him, but it's the only way to main engineering where the queen played by Uhura demands they kneel after Pollux has tricked them, which Mbenga suspected. Indeed. Uh, Pete, as others might say, it's a trap. Uh, where is the mercury stone? Uh, Mbenga notes it could be anywhere. Torturers are going to drag it out of Mbenga, and they will look everywhere. Pollux Spock uh, says now they can meet Castor in the dungeon. Uh, that leads to Pike crying against the walls of the transporter room prison. This is a really nice use, by the way, of the, mm -hmm. the set as a prison. Just stick the bars up there and so forth. Hemmer and Mbenga talk as crew members, noting that this is from a children's book. But let's focus on why Mbenga and Hemmer are the only ones affected. As for the Mercury Stone, it's a weapon from the book. And Castor, that's Hemmer, helps the king find it. Hemmer uh, recaps feeling a presence pressed against him. The telepathic training let him block this consciousness. Uh, perhaps the consciousness out there is telepathic. Perhaps it's the entity that has pulled them into the story or the story to them. Can Hemmer make contact again? He says it'll hurt, like his brain being pulled through his nose. Uh, but the entity is in the nebula. Perhaps Hemmer can use that most powerful of magic called science because pete he's got a fingus which adia likes once he abracadabras his way and their way out of the improvised prison the queen learns from her guards the prisoners escaped and orders pollux to find them as hemmer brings mbenga to the ship's scanner array Adia arms herself with a guard's sword and Routh retreats. Number one comes to their aid <clears throat> as the Huntress Zymeria. Uh, Hemmer's scans find evidence of a single life form, including brain activity, but no physical body. He asks Mbenga if he's familiar with the theory of the Boltzmann brain, a spontaneously generated consciousness. Hemmer proposes it's reading Mbenga's brainwaves, but Mbenga figures out Adia and Zamiria don't know each other in the book, but Rukia wanted them to meet. Indeed, the conclusion being perhaps the story isn't taken from Mbenga, but rather Rukia. With that, they go to sickbay, finding that Rukia is not in the buffer. She's gone. We got a stunning act break. Then we're back, and Mbenga is still stunned. Stunned enough, Pete, to go across a commercial break there. Uh, she was beamed out at 8.45 this morning. She must be somewhere on the ship. Rukia's illness is shared with Hemmer, and Hemmer is so sorry and wants to help. Uh, we see that Spock is listening, smiling ruefully. Pete, I had to wonder with the long hair, do you think they put him in ears, or were they like... <laughs> He's not wearing ears. <laughs> yeah, like, like, we can save... He got 35... a off ears. Yeah, exactly. Like, just make sure that we need extra wig in the ear area. Make it happen, wig person. Uh, anyhow, uh, Spock reports to Uhura that the Mercury Stone is a girl. All the queen needs to do is take the girl from uh, Mbenga. Pike is brought before her. He's too young to die. His life depends on himself. He needs to be loyal. And guess what? He is ready to jump ship and be loyal with this new side. In sick bay, Hammer grabs a communicator as Mbenga grows frustrated at Rukia's whereabouts. Hammer asks where she would want to go, and they head toward Mbenga's quarters, where Ralph betrays them, just like in the book. The queen wants his daughter in his quarters, and Hammer threatens to send her away. Abracadabra! He beams them away to Cargo Bay 12. The magic of science. Mbenga finally enters his quarters. We had had 
what was in there teased a little earlier in the scene, red light, us not seeing it and so forth. Now we see Rukia is there and they hug. He scans her with a medical tricorder and finds her healed and free of illness. How? She says her friend did it and they've just been playing. The game is fun, but it's hurting Mbenga's friends. Uh, will Rukia have to go back in the buffer? That much is not clear, but Mbenga wants to talk to the friend. Wait a minute, Pete. It was previously established the Hemmer could help. And indeed, perhaps now Hemmer can help. He'll use his telepathy, especially if uh, Rukia tells uh, the, the presence out there that they come in peace. And indeed, the entity shall now speak through Hemmer. Offering his body up here. The entity had probed the ship and felt Rukia here dressed splendidly. The, the African appointments, the beadwork on the top of the... A uh, little gown there, really chef's kiss. Uh, Rukia was imprisoned, her loneliness matching the entity's own and creating the world of the book for her. Mbenga is then given a choice to free the crew or to give up his daughter, echoing what happens with the Mercury Stone in the book, which will die if king wrigley holds onto it because it has a soul rukia wants to go with the entity and says goodbye to her father as it leaves hammer and envelops her in energy and light to leave but after a beat and an exterior shot of the enterprise returns as an adult who thanks him she's been on adventures with deborah named for her mother in her Afro-futuristic garb, though it's just been moments. Her happiness and safety affirms Mbenga's decision. And I think this portion of the scene so critical to our understanding of the situation. We've seen many Star Trek aliens who are good in the first half and bad in the second half and so forth. And I think, I don't know what the first draft of this story looked like, but I suspect it was just like, and she goes to live like forever in the adventure story. And I suspect in the drafting process, it was like, no, we need evidence that years and years later, she is still happy, fulfilled and safe. And we get that through the flourish of science fiction here with her returning her adult uh, form. Um, Rukia says, indeed, she's happy and safe. The right thing has happened. Now Mbenga must live his own life and go be happy. There's a flash, and all is back as it should be. Hemmer groans from his massive headache. Uh, however, he does not remember anything past being stuck in the nebula. We bookend this episode with Mbenga back in his medical log, saying that no one remembers anything from the, the five missing hours. Uh, they've been freed from the memory of it all by the entity and Rukia. Number one checks in uh, as to Rukia's status and is told that she's safe. Mbenga says that he's been through something extraordinary and no one else remembers. Number one now knows that he knows what happened in the missing five hours. It's a hell of a story and it begins like all good stories once upon a time. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with the Josnian Nebula that it's both the science fixation and the thing that ultimately causes the transition of the story uniquely star trek this idea of a consciousness which we'll discuss in a moment emanating from it and then ultimately becoming the solve for dr Mbenga's season-long crisis uh really elegantly done particularly since in our real world when there's a terminal illness the options are the patient passes away from it uh or insofar as it's been labeled a terminal illness there's some sort of miracle cure um the science fiction option here by way of the the nebula and by the way of deborah the entity giving us Another option, I can see, Pete, how some people might have had expectations subverted uh, in a negative way by it, 
uh, and I suppose by the actions of Deborah, the entity. To have such a solution for his daughter and, you know, you look at all the boxes that this first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds has checked. We've now done the, you know, powerful space entity and they've used it to fix the predicament that a character's secret daughter was in again they've made the most in terms of story sense and economy particularly since kind of what we the funny that we get at the beginning of the episode largely carries through to the end i know it's not a funny ending in fact if anything it's it's a um it's a heartbreaking ending but the through line of course is the kindness and compassion of deborah um and the desire to be playful and be fun and be supportive and all that um it really is it it's a stunning use here of of kind of these different science fiction parts to uh to give us a, a a curve for the episode and as you say pete to give a solution for a season-long problem let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories pete let's start with uh i don't know let's start with this ending your thoughts on the ending well i wonder if she's become like Wesley, some sort of traveler. It seems as if she's kind of locked to the nebula, but at the same time, not, um, you know, that she's named the, uh, entity after, uh, her mother and Benga's wife, who other than a name, we know nothing. Um, did she, pass away uh have they severed their relationship we just don't know i think there there's the there's the vague outline here the vague emotional impression that the mother uh has passed away i would add to it to me this is such a this is such a lovely and emotional ending um I, i give credit to the show for doing the funny dress up episode which star trek has been doing since the earliest you know the earliest episodes you know the the pleasure planet and there's the easter bunny and all all that sort to pair it with an ending that is satisfying to rukia in that you know she gets to live um and kind of changes the status quo lets us better understand this main character here in uh in mbenga i mean to me it's just it's just really, really beautiful, despite the fact that it is sad. Uh, again, I think that the the pairing of the silly dress up episode with a sad yeah. ending, uh, you know, I didn't see it coming. And Pete, that's part of the mandate of modern Star Trek, which is to not do fan films that at the end, just, you know, everything is the same as it was before. Just so bittersweet in the best way. And that Rookie is, is still out there that we can go back that we can return her uh not quite sure if they will um but that the possibility remains and that you've fixed again this issue in Mbenga's story we've also Matt canonically solved potentially a reason for why Dr. Mbenga is only seen briefly uh, on the Enterprise in the original series. Yeah, I think depending on how far this Enterprise story goes, you know, fine, we know that there's James T. Kirk in uh, at least an episode next season. Um, speculation, you know, how soon does this become a, a, a TOS reboot kind of thing? Um, but Mbenga is one of those characters where you know he's like you know he's not going to get killed off between now and season three of TOS, um, so that's some space to do stuff with him. You also know that he's not there for the first two seasons, and and you can probably postulate you know kind of production reasons why, like you already had a male uh, doctor and things of that sort. Um, so yeah, why not set this character up to do something with him, whether it's 
next week or next season or whatever it might be in the novel in the whatever there's already that natural that natural curve to it and um yeah it just it just adds to it adds to this great character who is not one i would have pulled off the off the roster prior to the show you know the show's announcement of mbenga being in it this episode being such a showcase for bob's all of some munkin just you know beginning to end holding it down somebody who gained international notoriety he was you know one of the other bad guys in marvel's the defenders and appeared in the first part of dune and now to get this big standalone episode and really you know control it from start to finish just a tremendous job I think, too, looking at this episode as part of the season, um, there's a reason why the, you know, the Pleasure Planet slash holodeck broken episodes, there's a reason why they can be fun. Um, it's great seeing, you know, handsome Anson Mount, who has played the tough guy, guy in charge in Hell on Wheels, and the tough guy, king of the Inhumans on Inhumans, uh, and now the captain of the ship. It's just fantastic to see him as this yellow-bellied, on-the-run <laughs> scaredy cat, um, and, and all the way down the line to see to see Christina Chung lean into the princess character with this just ridiculous song. You know, when else are they going to be asked to act like this? I would I would expect that all these actors have a lot more range than maybe the particular character calls for and you know what that's okay you got them at their best version of themselves for the show that's going to be at least a two season 20 episode commitment if not more um but yeah let them be what if she's not the greatest singer in the world guess what she hasn't she hasn't been on broadway like some of the other cast members have been great let her singing be bad that's part of the fun right we know that celia rose gooding has the musical chops it would have been interesting if they would have flipped the roles there but i think chong squared it up in terms of what she was given and, and ran with it matt i'm gonna propose we know who would have played the core jester um who samuel kirk <laughs> um if the only mustache if only. come on you know he was gonna he was, he was just there off off screen Ready to come in with a big floppy hat with a giant feather in it or something. <laughs> the motley. <laughs> I mean, I, I know on the one hand you're kidding. On the flip side, if word leaked out tomorrow and it showed one of these actors, you know, um, in this costume again for season two and like, oh, they're going to return to the Elysian Kingdom. That could be really fun. That could be really, really fun. And if anything... You know, the whole season has been about, you know, it's self-contained episodes except when it's not. While I think you and I are both on the same page in terms of defending this as a bittersweet ending and not calling it unresolved or not calling it disappointing just because I didn't get my way. Um, I think that, if again, if you tell me we're going back to it next season, okay, great, guess what? We get to have people play dress up again. We get to bring in other characters being silly. Can you imagine Samuel Kirk or James T. Kirk being, you know, the jester or the garbage, you know, garbage liege, take away this whatever, you know, like it could be really, really funny. And also we could revisit this character where maybe if you feel it's, how about not resolved the way you would want it to be, uh, which could mean that you're on team Mbenga, then it's an opportunity to go back and do a second, second go around with this. That'd be really cute. If they return to it, they've resisted the urge at this point to do a mirror universe story. Um, I think, I mean, listen, those are always welcome, but I would also argue it's a little bit played at this point. So to establish essentially their own fanciful, thing onto this era of the enterprise could be really cute and you know as rookie as as a way as an entree into that uh fantasy world again that could be fun it was really neat seeing too like whoever decided to take the map of the enterprise 
and redraw that as, you know, the land of the story that was cleverly done. The whole episode is cleverly done and it makes me point out that I don't know if this was intentionally designed as a bottle episode to save money, but boy, this is a bottle episode. Okay. They spent, they spent money on new costumes for people whose measurements they already have and who, you know, and so forth. So, you know, credit, full credit to the costume people, but it's not like, oh man, how will this guy look in a cloak? You can say, well, I've been dressing him for the last six months. I could tell you, let's do the thing higher or lower, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, you stick some palm fronds in the hallways and shoot some CO2 on the floor. Now it's this magically transported thing. You're not leaving your established sets. You're not worried about, logistics COVID or otherwise in terms of transportation to the rock quarry and then the lunch and the all of that it this is a fun action-packed little episode that feels big and you know certainly wallops when it comes to to the emotional end of things I'm again I shouldn't be surprised that people are review bombing it but I'm I'm disappointed to hear that because this is just an imaginative and heartfelt episode and to reach for Benny Russell and to make it a canonical situation here, my brain can't quite uh, reconcile how, um, you know, Benjamin Sisko's fictional character, um, you know, winds up being the author of this, but, you know, not needing to explain the name appearing on the storybook. I think it all checks out. Yeah, I think that you could probably resolve that by just saying Cisco's experience, um, it was not a quantum leap, go back to the actual, actual events. And when Cisco said, wait, where am I? You know, whatever the particulars are for that episode, um, that that was not the truth with a capital T, whether you want to say parallel this or memory that or holodeck the other, um, to, to just know that there was a guy named Benny Russell who, despite all challenges, continued to write, continued to, you know, share tales that three, four hundred years later are still dazzling readers. That's that's a success as well. With that, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We start, as we always do, with Twitter. Uh, the question, which fanciful character did you like best uh fairly well, somewhat evenly split here the jesterly pike got 16.1 percent the powerful wizard 25.8 percent the cackling queen got 16.1 percent as well and then the mighty king our star of the episode got 41.9 percent some replies here james the sagacious big killing on twitter says i wasn't feeling it at first but it's grown on me trek always has episodes where characters get to larp that's uh, your live action role play there. Hammer stole the show with his wizarding. Anyone that's raised a child knows you drop them off in kindergarten and they come home from college later that day. So we've had Cybok and now a formless entity living uh, behind a cloud that manipulates space travelers. Hmm, rings a bell. Pete, I'll mention, I know Memory Alpha, for better or worse, was saying uh, on the official you know page for this episode, like... Um, you know, it was pointing out other stories where things like this have happened before. I don't know if that was put there through genuine observation or some mean spiritedness. Like, okay, they found a thing in space that makes reality different. Like, it certainly didn't bother me one bit. No, not at all. And, you know, everything tracks within Star Trek, within the scope of this episode. We hear from Strange New Tweets. That's K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. I don't think I knew who Anson Mount was before in Humans. Look, we all know it exists, whether we like it or not. But Trek made me love him. His performance in this episode was a standout among a host of other things. Not the resolution I was expecting for Mbenga and his daughter. Uh, next up, Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983. When I saw the previews, I was expecting some type of shenanigans on a holodeck or something. Instead, I got a beautiful story from the mind of a child and a father making a difficult choice. Mbenga did a masterful job. Next, JT Adkins, JTA is me. This one was alternatively very silly, then very sad, then redemptive. It's going to take longer to process than podcasting schedules allow, so I'll offer a little commentary beyond this. This episode could have been entitled Deus Ex Nebula. 
<laughs> not really a comp <laughs> a co complaint or a compliment just an observation also it was nice to see our crew being cast against type for everyone except ortegas and una nice comic turns Next, Pete, single since Obama, that's Kylie G328, says, not my favorite episode, but this feels like a 22 episodes, uh, a season filler story. But Hemmer is back. That automatically makes it great. How dare they do that to handsome Mount's hair? <laughs> Pete, even the hair can act great. Next up, Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. I woke up early to watch this, question mark. Even the reappearance of Hemmer and the decent amount of screen time given to him couldn't save this shipwreck of a story. I know many liked it. I'm sure the actors had a lot of fun making it, but man, not getting that hour back. Yes, Mbenga's daughter is cured, and he seemed relieved to not have to worry about her anymore, but he also missed out on, what, 15 years of her growing up? And now it seems he'll have to live the rest of his life without her. I'm not a fan of the Elysian Kingdom, but he gets bonus points since the book was based uh, that it was based on was written by Benny Russell. Uh, next, we hear from Pharrell Nicholson. That's A-F-H-C-I-N. Uh, every heroic character in the story, also the cruel queen, uh, were extraordinarily written and acted. I nearly skipped this episode because it seemed goofy, then heard Fantastic Geek praise it, so I watched it. I almost cried. It may be my favorite Trek story ever. Wow. Uh, and uh, Farrell Nicholson adds, Pike's awesome too because of the irony. P to the email inbox we go where listeners to our Kenobi podcast know that Stacy Thomas emailed us crossing the streams of Star Trek and Star Wars with the intention today because this week's episodes are evidence on why they're both worth the love. Let's talk some Star Trek now. Pete, uh, I'll read her words thusly. I liked that Mbenga's storyline with his daughter didn't drag on for more episodes. I think it would have gotten stale pretty quickly and it resolved in a way I didn't expect. So that's even better. I have to say, as someone who works in a lab, watching him do science without goggles, gloves, and a lab coat gave me the willies. And then the one experiment literally blows up in his face. Dr. Mbenga, sir. This is why PPE, personal protective equipment, exists. <laughs> uh, Pete, let me pause Stacy's words for a second. Fair, fair criticism. I have to say, I thought that the puff of smoke that he got was going to be a story thing like yes. that that led him to this fantasy or hard cut to Dr. Mbenga wake up what's going on in his brain which I know is also you know Star I Trek. I think they sold it to you know when he's first summoned to the bridge both in his quarters and in the turbo lift he appears kind of wobbly I, I think there was if we could look at the script at least some misdirect to that. Uh, back to Stacy's words, it was hard to watch him fail, knowing he cannot save his daughter, and Una's compassion in the face of it. He needs to attend to his duties, but also take care of himself. The rest of this episode was pure delight. Pike's enjoyment of the calm, Spock mentioning the superstition of not mentioning when things are calm, because you know that's tempting fate. We have that in my lab, too. Never, ever mention how quiet it is. <laughs> Pete, let me pause Stacy again. I disagree with that wholeheartedly, all right? Line from Titanic. I make my own fate. I make my own destiny. So yeah, I say no, next I'm, I'm team Stacy here. You don't jinx things. All righty. Well, uh, maybe that makes me the Spock of the group. I don't know. Uh, back to Stacy. I loved watching everyone play out of character. Laon is the frilly princess. Her dress was gorgeous. Uh, Pike <laughs> was a not very smart coward. His hair still distracting, but not the same way as usual. Smiley emoji. Oh, my. Spock as a wizard. Una and Ortegas as a couple. The entity in the nebula using Rukia's version of the story was a fun twist. And then she gets to go off with it and make her own stories. Her coming back to see her dad and let him know she was okay was an extra bit that tied the story up well. As always, looking forward to your thoughts. Uh, Pete, that from Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, a.k.a. Trek Girl on Twitter. I'm glad that Stacy mentioned that number one and uh, Ortegas in the story because of... Uh, essentially, our narrator, right, Rukia, sees them as a match and that they're represented in such a way. And it was subtle, but it was still there, and I, I thought that was great. Pete, always with us, perhaps, like the great creature of the nebula, is the wise voice of Fred in the Netherlands, whose wisdom shall be espoused now. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 8. 
I gave this episode on IMDb a 7, although it got a 6.0 by 1.1k viewers. I didn't want to go that low. Why a 7? It's mainly because I didn't like the overacted setting so much. It really fully fits this episode, so it should be in it, but it got a little tiresome for me. A bit the feeling of a Shakespearean theater play. And on the one hand it should be that, but still I don't like that too much. For a short while yes, but for a whole episode a bit too much. It was actually quite fun and out of the box. And I think the actors had a hell of a time doing this. And I think it probably was so fun for the actors doing this. Especially the ones that had a quite different character than they are normally. Some of them had a quite similar kind of role, like Spock as a wizard, advisor, and Una as a huntress. Whereas Pike's and Uhura's roles were quite different from what they normally do. And certainly La'an, from a fierce warrior to a puppy-carrying lady. I like the mix of the Enterprise background and that still some of the equipment is just properly working and walking around in these costumes. Also gave the feeling a bit of a Q-like setting. I didn't expect that the solution for Dr. Benga's daughter would come in this episode. I really was expecting that the Magellan connection of two episodes ago would provide that. And everybody will probably agree that Hammer's role was hilarious. Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. I can appreciate uh, Fred thinking that maybe the solution to Mbenga's conflict with his daughter was going to come through the Majalis uh, episode there a couple back. Um, but I, I think this worked the most. The the telling of this story, you know, they, they could have just let it sit as he, he reads to his daughter and then to incorporate it in such a way and then Again, the particularly Star trek idea that there was an entity that sensed her and tried to do the right thing by her and ultimately cures her, you know, it, it, it all is in the spirit of Star Trek. I think, too, if people are feeling the gut punch, uh, unsatisfactorily feeling the gut punch of, you know, oh, and she grew up without him. Okay, well, can't we go back to it some other time and be like, look, now we have the cure from another episode. Um Hey, Deborah, the entity, can you make her eight again? I mean, like, that's not that's not impossible. Oh, yeah. she forgot all her adult adventure. Like the the same as Fred said, it's kind of somewhat cue like the same story cue like flash here that that saves the day can be used again to, to give a different ending if that's what what one so uh, so desires. Uh, I know Fred and others have commented on Hemmer's return in this episode, and I certainly don't want to. I'm not saying I know that the actor, Bruce Hornack, had COVID. I, I just, with Hemmer having been gone for mm -hmm. a couple episodes, I just wanted to share a fuller, fuller uh, thought-out theory that I, I think I'd mentioned a couple weeks ago, which is if you were planning on making this season, if this season was in pre-production and you were a writer or producer, wouldn't it make sense to have some interchangeable parts for example, this is an episode where, oh my goodness, Anson Mount is out sick with COVID. Okay, guess what? Swat, anybody can play the fool. Anybody can play the jester. Anybody, you can sit and go, well, it's going to be one of the main cast people and blah, 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 blah. And who's the lowest? Who has the least screen time in this episode? Guess what? Now, all of a sudden, that's Ensign Mitchell or that's Sam Kirk or there's that interchangeability there. So I would be interested to hear in the future if there is reference made to you know, there was always a backup plan. There was always, let's shoot another day, let's shoot another episode, depending on particulars. Yeah, that was not an aspect I had considered, that they might have used those parts interchangeably. So all the more smartly done.
Speaking of smart, Matt, the people that go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and help us kick the old warp engines and make sure that the comms work, they know what they're doing. Indeed, no little pinprick on the warp bubble there caused by things like increasing use of storage of bandwidth uh, because we are listener supported and that really, really does mean so much. Uh, the people can hop on there at any level, at the level that works for them and uh, to, to keep this good ship on the move, our eternal appreciation. Pete, with only gulp, is it really only two episodes left to the season? How can people be in touch with you to talk about more Star Trek? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 12,605 followers. Can't be wrong. Well, I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost. Do me touch the podcast comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. Pete, if you can believe it, this draws to an end our June boon. This draws to an end three podcasts a week, at least of new scripted episodes we will uh, podcast three times next week though at least <laughs> we will two scripted so next friday friday july 1st beat really bringing an end to june here uh we'll be talking ms marvel episode 104 uh that'll be your marvel friday on your star wars saturday we will be wrapping obi-wan kenobi for the season series uh, Pete, we could say for the series, and we can mean it in the British way or the American way. I think that's probably <laughs> the way to cover all the bases there, to future-proof it and so forth. Uh, and back on July 3rd, Sunday, July 3rd, for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, episode 109, the penultimate episode. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I would die infinite deaths to no longer hear your whining. <laughs>